0: Hi. Good morning. Great to be here. Awesome that you're here, and uh, or else it would be so much emptier just preaching to seats. So yeah. Hey. Um. I just during the worship as well. I just felt like um, that. I just was thinking back to Samuel. You know, Samuel in the Bible when he was a, a wee child, and he was um someone who grew up in the house of the Lord. Hey, Ruth. And uh, he. He had this encounter with God. He was sleeping one night and God just kept speaking to him. And, and then Elisha told him, no, Eli told him to speak. You know, say, you know speak because your servant is listening. And um, so Samuel, you know, next time God spoke, Samuel said, speak because your servant is listening. And, and um, God spoke to Samuel. And there was this connection, there was this relationship that just clicked into place because he heard the voice of God. And I just felt like this morning that there's some people there that need to grab a revelation that God wants to speak to you. And I think, Josh, you even you touched on it. Someone said something about God speaking over us this morning. And I just want to even confront anything that you've ever said over your life that is like, I can't hear God's voice. Because you can and you will. So how about we just break that? Let's just join together on that right now. In Jesus' name, I just break that curse or that self-curse of saying, I don't hear God. We break that off every ear and every eye of every heart that we are a people who hear the voice of God. We are all now kings and priests. We just thank you for that. We take that, Lord. We take new revelation for every single person in this awesome family, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you that you want to talk to us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Say I can hear God's voice. Voice. <laughs> hey, over um over the summer, I um I read a couple of books, uh, by Bear Bear Grylls. I think that's his name. And uh, man, I was inspired. I was just so. I've been telling every guy I have a conversation. Was like, if you read this book, Blood, Sweat, and Tears just so, so awesome, so manly, and it's Bears going around having all these incredible uh, adventures, and you just get the inside of his life, and he's a Christian as well, and so there's some real nuggets in it, and uh, he's just off there in his sphere of influence, just bringing the kingdom, and so really, really good read, and so the next book I actually bought was another Bear Girl's book, I was like, I'm going to stay on this roll, and uh, I, I bought this book um, called, like, World's Greatest Escapes. And uh, I've got a story from it this morning that I want to I want to share uh, with you, and it's about one of the most famous escapes in World War Two, and it's called. There it was a movie made about it called The Great Escape, and um, it was basically it started in this uh, prison camp in World War Two, and it was called uh, Stalag Luft. It was a uh, POW camp for. Originally, for airmen who had been downed and they were officers and they would go and they would actually get quite well looked after. They would have like a movie cinema there and they would just have all these kind of perks that other prison camps didn't uh, kind of get to uh, enjoy. And the actual camp uh, owner or director, he was actually quite a nice German. So that was that was good. But these guys, they still knew it was their duty to escape. Like, I know this camp is good, you know, there's some good things about it, but. I know that there's more for me. You know, I know that there's freedom on the other side of those fences. And so there was a squadron leader called Roger Bushell, and he hatched this plan of incredible boldness, to, and um, he went to the escape committee with it. And he wanted to dig. They had a, yeah, they had an escape committee, and they wanted to dig three tunnels simultaneously, or simultaneously, depending what island you come from, instead of one. Reason, reasoning that if one tunnel was discovered, the Germans would uh, be unlikely to ex- suspect that another two were being dug. And so, three tunnels would also allow more men to escape. Bushell believed that he could get more men out than ever before. 200 men. This was more than 10 times the amount that had ever s- escaped before. And the plan was named Big X. And, there were, and three tunnels were commissioned uh, to be dug, and they were called Tom, Dick, and Harry. That's awesome, eh? I was like, man, if there were ever going to be three t- tunnels with names, they would be the names right there. And so what they had to do is that they had, because they had limited resources available, because they were in a POW camp, they had to make the absolute most out of, what resources they had available and so they had tin cans from um, the Red Cross that had, uh, food had been supplied to them through and they would um, use them what did they do? They, they constructed digging tools, candle holders and a, an entire ventilation system with these tin cans within the tunnels the, the prisoners also they were so versatile they skimmed fat from their soup to use as candle wax and, the, and threads from old clothing to make candle wicks. It's amazing. They fitted each tunnel with electric lighting and installed a rail car system to shift the soil more efficiently. All this is going on right under the Germans' noses and they had no idea. And then the men, they, they had this challenge of disposing the soil that was dug from under the tunnels. The prisoners carried the, small, the soil in small pouches made from socks um, which hung from the bottom of their trouser legs, and and, and they had string tied to the socks, and they would wear these great coats, you know, the big coats, to disguise the bulges in the in their pants, and walk around the prison compound, um, releasing the soil. And they had this kind of funny waddle because they were they couldn't walk properly, and they were known as penguins. They like codenamed them penguins, and so, but more than 200 guys made around. 25,000 trips from the tunnels to the surface to dump the soil isn't that a commitment right there, for freedom for the sake of freedom 25,000, so I don't know how many trips that is per guy but it's a lot, someone will probably tell me um, and in the end though, um, 78 men managed to escape from the camp pretty cool They had a few more challenges along the way. See the movie or read the book. It's it's a great story. But what what these guys, like I touched on, what these guys had in their hearts was they, they held a picture of their freedom. And the thing is about these 200 guys is that they knew that their freedom was dependent upon their mates, that they couldn't achieve freedom alone, that they actually needed friendships because their freedom was so important they they, just, you know, they would dig through the night. They would have sleepless nights. They had to go and they had to go especially deep because what the Germans had done, they put this camp on a sandy yellow soil so that if they dug shallow the, the, the tunnel would just collapse. So, and, and they'd also put uh, wire around the perimeter of the camp um, and that would detect noise. So any digging the Germans would be alerted to. So they dug down to a depth of nine meters. When you think about an Olympic diving board being 10 meters, you know the drop off and you go, oh my gosh, I'm never doing that. Um, They went down nine meters and then dug and dug
1: and dug. And I was thinking
0: what it would be like to be a POW, you know, prison of war. Every day you would wake up, you would go outside and you would see the fences. You would see the guards with their guns. You would see the uniforms. Everything was speaking to a POW that they were stuck, that they were imprisoned, that they had limitations around their lives. And last week, Chris um, touched on the armor of God, talked about in Ephesians 6.10, and I've got this verse actually stuck onto my phone. Every time I turn it on, it it shows me, and it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. In his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authority, powers in this dark world. There's a spiritual war going on over our lives, there is a battle. I, I guess God looks down on humanity. And he sees a lot of people that are in captivity, a lot of people that are in prison, a lot of people that are like POWs to the devil. And Paul gives us this amazing picture here. He says, hey, you know what armor's about? You wear armor when you're in a battle. You wear armor when you're on the offensive or on the defenses. You know, you've got armor because there's a war going on. If there wasn't a war, you know, he would have been like, hey, look, here's a remote. Here's Sky. Here's a Lazy Boy. Here's your iPad. You just chill out. It's okay. You don't have to worry. But he didn't do that. He gave us these weapons. He gave us his armor. And he gave us his grace so that we could bring heaven to earth, so that we can see earth invaded. Prisoners set free, and we've got so we've got this armor, but we've also got this choice in life is what's the posture that we're gonna adopt? What posture do we adopt on Monday? What posture do we adopt, you know, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night? What posture is it? Is it do we realize that we're still in a war? Do we realize that we're still actually, there's a kingdom and it says it suffers violence and the violence take it by force. That there's, there's something for us to take hold of every day of our lives and push against. And we want to be a church that is progressing in the kingdom. We want to be a people that together see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives, don't we? Today, my message is called Kingdom Synergy. So if you're taking notes, kingdom synergy, it says this: synergy is the interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect that is far greater than the sum of the individual element's contribution. There's something exciting when these elements get together and they match and they connect and suddenly you've got this result that is far better than just the one by themselves. And it it simply, in the Bible, says a three-string cord is not easily broken. And I've used this illustration before, but you know, I used to sail. I used to love sailing, and I had this um, experience where we had this uh, this boat that I sailed called the Phoenix, and it was a unpredictable, fast boat. And you'd have someone on the trapeze, and they would be out there when the wind got up, and you'd just scream along the water, and it was a total awesome buzz. And you had all these different things working for you. You had a sail because that needed to catch the wind. You had a rudder because you needed to know where you were going. You had your, your crew out there providing balance. And all those elements combining, they produce this kind of synergy that if in the right place at the right time, you could go really fast and have a lot of fun. And I remember one day we were out on Littleton and we were honing this big norwester and it was like whoa and suddenly we weren't hooning and we the nose dug into the boat and I got we got catapulted out over the sail and it and it was and we just capsized it was like what went wrong because it just I just lost control all of a sudden I was like whoa lost control and um what had happened was that the the rudder pin had just come out just come out and just like pop I'm coming out now I'm sick of this too hard came out, I lost control, and boom, you know, splash, mess, and we broke the forestay of the the, the mast, and so we had to do a kind of a little temporary rig, and we just kind of limped home, and, and it was a real challenge, but do you know, one of those elements, one of those elements was removed, and the synergy was lost, do you know, the Bible says that we're like a body, aren't we, and that we all, we're all a part of this body, and you know, we're an eye, we're a leg, we're an ear, we're, a, we're whatever. But we are—we exist together to bring synergy to the kingdom in this church. Every one of us actually makes a difference and, and belongs in that position. If you're not functioning in the fullness that God's called you to function in, we've lost synergy. We've lost this ability to work together and see God's kingdom established on yeah, so synergy is about connections working. And Jesus modeled synergy, didn't he? He was like one of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You unplug Jesus and you're like, Father, Holy Spirit, it's just not a Trinity anymore. It just doesn't work. It's like a jewel. <laughs> jewel. <laughs> a duo. Jewel. It's a jewel arrangement. Yeah.
1: He modelled synergy
0: on this planet to us. His willingness to surrender his life released this incredible blessing, incredible flow for us between, the, between earth and heaven, between humanity and heaven. He, he, he called himself, I'm a gateway. I'm actually, I'm the, one, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I'm, I'm going to, right, if you walk through me, you've got synergy with heaven in your world. So Jesus became this incredible point of synergy in our lives. In Matthew eighteen it says this again I tell you, in verse nineteen, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew eighteen, nineteen. Again I tell you that if you if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. If two or more of you ask about anything, it'll be done. And then it says in verse 24, where two or three come together, for, yeah, come together in my name, there I am with them. There's something about being connected with other people that releases a greater dimension of the kingdom of heaven. There's something in the power of agreement you know, and, and, and Deb and I, when we're, when we're facing the hammer, we're like, you know, we, want to, we need to pray together. We need to establish our position ag- to, again together as a couple that are going places with Jesus. We need to establish again who the head of the house is, you know, that, that being really Jesus. We need to really <laughs> establish again.
1: I, know. I am a good man. You know, we value the power of agreement
0: here at Thrive. We really... And we deeply value, I know Deb and I, we deeply value the friendships that we have in this church. See, you can't really have one, a deep level of one, without a deep level of the other. God is into friendship. God is into a relationship. God is into us agreeing together together his blessing and purposes over our families our workplaces our community he is into that kind of stuff and you know just speaking personally here like we've had times even and i've had times when we've needed others in our lives we haven't just wanted people to be around and just to support us but we've needed and valued when people just like we go hey look I need need some help. I need to talk. I I need someone to pray with me. I need to flick a text out and say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling here. Or, I need you to come over and pray for our kids because I'm sick of sickness being in our family. And there's so many times where, I think over the last few years, where we have so valued the depths of our friendships because we can call these guys up and just say, look, I'm going through this. Will you stand with me? to be a people who wear the armor of God for others. Be ready for others. And then we need to be realize that we need others. And it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to say, help, I'm going through stuff. Because what does it say? We're two or more gathered. We're two gathered, And when you agree that it will be done it will be done. Your breakthrough will happen. Your blessing will happen. That's, that's the promise of God that we will always uphold, even when it doesn't happen. We will agree with the Word of God as being greater than our circumstances. Sometimes, like I'm saying, like we haven't seen the results that we want to see. We haven't seen. We've had disappointments when we've had people around praying with us and believing. We haven't seen those results. But at those moments, it's such a blessing to know that we have people with us who will journey with us. And you know, when you're going through the tough stuff and there's people there with you, those people just shine. They just like glow. And you will so appreciate people around your life when you're journeying through hard times. So today, I just want to share a few thoughts on the importance of guarding Pursuing lasting relationships and divine connections or God setups that upholds our freedom and creates legacy. Because these divine connections and lasting friendships, they will create a synergy in our community that will just go beyond what we could do on our own. See Jesus showed us the importance of nurturing or fighting for relationship right through his life the connections he formed created gateways of transformation into people's lives and right at the start of Jesus's epic journey you know his ministry as a 30 year old what did he do he went out and he gathered together a crew of guys and he connected them together he was like these guys are going to be the ones that that can create and alter and shape the course of history. Those, those twelve guys. That was his, he started with twelve, and his his intention was that he would not just, you know, let them kind of go. He was like, I'm gonna gather these guys around me and I'm gonna journey with them. I'm gonna disciple them, I'm gonna love them. And he's like, Come on, guys, you know, we know the scriptures. Come on, let's be like that city on a hill. Let's shine. Let's beat the darkness together. It's like, you know, you guys, you're like the vine, and I'm the... No, you're like the branches, and I'm the vine. <laughs> Come on, let's go out and bear fruit together. Let's do something radical together. And, you know, we've, God wants us to nourish and nurture friendships in our lives that are connected to Christ, that have have a, a, a point of difference about their lives just from any other you know, friendship, any other thing that's going on in life. The point of difference being Jesus Christ. Let's promote Christ in our relationships by upholding His values, by praying for each other, by going deeper and not just talking about superficial things. Let's promote Christ within the rest of our lives. See, the disciples, they were a bunch of hard cases. You know, uh, when James and John weren't accepted into a, they weren't accepted into a city, and it says Jesus, you know, set his face like flint to Jerusalem, and they were like, call down fire from heaven and like roast the lot. And then Jesus says, you know, Son of Man didn't come to destroy, but to seek and save the lost. And he's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's better. You know, these guys were learning along the way. They argued about who was the greatest. great. No, I'm better than you. No, I'm better, see? Got bigger muscles. Yeah. We laugh. But it's a question that we're all confronted with. You know, how am I still significant if I'm not the greatest? And then Jesus is like, hey, be like a little child, and then you'll be great. Oh, yeah, of course. I knew that, Jesus. But together, the disciples witness Jesus be totally indiscriminate to those that he ministered to, blessed, prayed for, embraced, cared for. They just witnessed him. They watched him. And their worldview shifted as they hung around Jesus. You know, you think of the stories when he met Zacchaeus. He embraced him. The good, the bad, the ugly on him. Everyone fits in Jesus' family. The woman at the well. You know, she's searching for something to fill her life. And the disciples are like, what, she's a Samaritan. She's like an outcast." Jesus is like, no, I've got streams of living water that you would never thirst again. And I'm like, whoa, there's a new paradigm again. They just learned from Jesus. You know, from the demon-possessed boy to the rich young ruler, Jesus confronted what it meant to love, what it meant to give, what it meant to sacrifice. And he transferred his kingdom culture into the disciples that journeyed with him. Mindful that he was preparing them to carry his kingdom when he was gone. In Luke 22, if you've got your Bibles, at the Last Supper, Jesus is pulling together the loose ends for his disciples who were up to this point had imagined they were going to be a part of the overthrow of the Roman Empire. They were like, I'm in it for the glory. This is, We're going to be powerful. But they were discovering is Jesus kind of talked about his death. That their journey was not going to be about them being gloriously influential through power, but it was going to be about them taking the gloriously low road of humility, sacrifice, and service. Service. I read this quote from Martin Luther over the weekend. It said this, A Christianity that gives nothing, suffers nothing, and costs nothing is worth nothing.
1: It's a big challenge. The
0: disciples were discovering that the greatness of Christ's love, but at the same time also discovering the cost of loving greatly. They were discovering the greatness of Christ's love, and that's what we want to do here, don't we? We want to embrace the greatness of Christ's love. But do you know there's a price on that? There's There's a cost to love greatly. It's not easy. It's sometimes the low road. It's the service load, road. It's, the, it's, it's the, the lay down my will, road. It says in Luke 22, when he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And it's easy to read over that fast without meditating on it. He said, this is my body, given to you, Jesus is saying, I'm going to die for you. you. Guys, you know, I've been here with you for three years, pouring my life out for you. I believe in you. I'm, I'm going to actually die so that you guys can live all that you uh, are called to be. See, to them, to this point, he'd been like, Jesus, the man God, like the leader, the teacher, the friend, now he was, a, he was like a vulnerable man about to face death on a cross. He wanted to show his disciples the depth of his commitment to them.
1: And it really intrigued me. In verse 22,
0: just pop back up and read that because it says, When the hour came, this is before he said that he's going to pour his body out for them. Jesus, it says in verse 22, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In the King James, it says to him, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. See, Jesus didn't distance himself from the guys before the cross. He moved closer towards them. Despite the fact that he knew one of them was about to betray him. In the Gospel of John it talks about Jesus serving them and washing their feet. You know, this was a task that was never performed by Jews. He humbled himself and he said, picture this, God, this is what my life is about. This is about me reaching towards you, reaching out to you. And it, I think that Jesus at this point, you know, he, he desired to be with them. I actually think he just really enjoyed hanging out with the guys. I think he just wanted to make the most of this last moment. He was just like, I want to show you how much I love you.
1: In John 17,
0: 22, Jesus praises for his disciples. Holy Father, protect them by my power of your name, by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. See, Jesus wanted these guys to grasp the depth of relationship with Him. He didn't want them to just conform, just for conformity's sake, but He wanted them to know the completeness that they could have if they had Jesus Christ in their world—not as individuals, but together, one heart, one mind, an undivided completeness in the love of, of the Father. We can you have the band up there? It'd be awesome. Keyboards. John, who was one of the sons of thunder, John and James, he was one of the guys who wanted to be recognized as being great. and He wrote in 1 John 4, verse 19, that we love because he first loved us. Do you know, when you have a picture of yourself being the disciple who Jesus loved, You stop trying to protect yourself from lesser things than his love, like the need to be great.
1: And when you have a revelation
0: of his love, you can serve others without losing your dignity. See, his love is the point of difference that will create synergy in our lives, in our community, in our nation, in the world, for goodness sake the disciples, they journeyed through this crazy roller coaster of three years. They had the Passover and the Last Supper, and they watched Jesus go onto the cross, and they were just broken men at that point. They were broken. They were like, What happened to my dreams here? But they came together. They came together again, and in Acts 2, together they sought God together. And Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit just poured out on these guys. And imagine if they'd gone their own ways. But no, they said, we're going to continue to meet together. We're not going to forsake the gathering together. We're going to find something together. And they received the Holy Spirit, and that just brought a new revolution and a whole new synergy to, to, to their destiny. Suddenly they had the grace for the gifts in their life and they could preach and Peter got up and he preached a message and 3,000 were saved because they met together. They fellowshiped together. They sought God together. And I just know that to go on as a church, we've got to not be a bunch of individuals, but we've got to know what it is to do life together. We've got to be vulnerable together like Jesus showed us. This is my body broken. I just want to break it open for you. I want to be real with you guys, you know. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember to be vulnerable. Remember.
1: Let's just close our eyes this morning. Thank you,
0: Holy Spirit. You know, I just want to ask a question and I just want to I want you to ponder this as well. Just it's a simple question, but it is this. What would it take for you to move closer to God and to people? What needs to change? What needs to get out of the way? Because God does not want you to avoid people. He does not want you to avoid Him. I just know that some people here have just let obstacles in your life and things in your past become an an excuse to not moving close to people again because of hurt, broken trust. But we want to celebrate you today. We want to celebrate the coolness of you, the personality that you have, the friendship that you have to offer, the grace and the gifts on your life. And we call you up you up into the fullness of who you are meant to be in Jesus Christ. Today, as you're sitting there, if you know you want to move closer to God together and you want to surrender some stuff in your life, then I just want you to lift your hands and just go, yeah, God, that's me. I want to move closer to you. I want to move closer to community. I don't want to be a prisoner of war anymore. I just want to know what it is to be free around people. That's you today. Just take that grace right now. We just release a grace for these people, Lord, to move out of brokenness, to move out of the past, and we just break those obstacles that have been there. We declare where trust has been broken, that healing would flow. Where role modeling has not been as it should, Lord, just a grace, Lord, to step into the heaven's DNA, heaven's purposes for their lives, God. Awesome name. Amen. Cool. Hey, we're going to sing one last song this morning before we go. And if you just want to respond, if you put your hand up or you didn't, we'd love to pray with you up the front this morning because we want you to, and desire for you to come into a community It's about setting people free. It's about freedom. So, yeah, let's just lift him up again this morning.